Good morning. I was worried a little I'm going to trip up those stairs and make a scene, but not this morning anyway. It's my delight and privilege to bring God's Word to you. This morning we turn again to the book of Hebrews, and I'll be reading the whole first chapter. We looked at the first four verses last time, and that first section really is, as, as it were, a diamond, and it, it shines, it's, it's bright, it's brilliant as it sets forth Jesus, and then Hebrews begins to look at the different facets, and this morning we will look at one of those facets, comparing Jesus to the angels. So let me begin at verse 1 and read through chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiancy of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, the scepter of Uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So far, reading of God's word. This morning, as we look at this passage, we think about the comparison of angels to Jesus. And as we do so, we need to have a clearer understanding than perhaps many of us have of angels. What do you think about when you think of angels? Here's a picture of some representation by Michelangelo of angels, these cute little cherubs. Is this what you think of when you think of angels? You might look at them and say, yeah, they're cute. Uh, what could they do? We, we don't think of these as mighty, powerful beings, but we think of them as cute, and we think, well, I mean, even I could take them on. They, they don't look that strong. They don't look that powerful. But when we look at Scripture, we get a far different picture of angels. And we are reminded of that. I want to go through a few verses to help us to understand in, when there's this comparison made, there's a significance to it. 
that this is not Jesus is greater, stronger than these cute little cherubs, but rather that he is exalted far above powerful beings. Angels are part of God's creation, that they are created in the physical realm, and they have a responsibility and a task in all of the creation that God has made. We think of the first encounter with angels that we read about, and that is after Adam and Eve have sinned and they are driven out of the garden, and we come across the first cherubim, and what are they doing? They are guarding the way to the tree of life with a flaming sword, guarding, protecting, and they would be able to keep anyone and everyone from approaching that tree. The angels are described as the hosts of heaven, as the army of heaven with the Lord himself being the host or the, the Lord of all those hosts. And they are presented as having great power and, and ability. We can think of the Old Testament in a couple of places. There's one where Elisha and his servant are surrounded by an enemy army. And the servant gets up and he looks and he sees and, and he is afraid. He looks and he thinks, where is our hope? Where is our protection? And we read in 2 Kings 6, verse 17, of Elisha's response. Elisha prays and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here was the protection. Here it is manifest in the power of horses and chariots that this was the protection that they had. We may also think of the New Testament. When people encountered angels... What did they do? Did they say, oh, look at how interesting, how nice, let me meet you. Not at all. We, we think of Zacharias as he is ministering before the altar of incense. When he encounters an angel, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Here was something of the glory and the majesty of God. And he was overwhelmed. Or think in the Christmas story. The shepherds are out in the field watching their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appears and the glory of the Lord shines upon them. You think of the dread, the fear that fell upon them. They are afraid of this as they see this glory, this majesty. Or we may think even of the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. In the book of Revelation, he records that which the angels showed to him. And when he sees this and he sees the majesty of this angel, what does he do? He falls down to worship the angel. That is the greatness of this angel. Now the angel properly says, don't worship me. Worship God. That he was but a servant as well. But you begin to think, these angelic beings, 
the glory, the might, the power that they have is something that we don't often think about. We may also think about the power also of those fallen angels led in rebellion by Satan himself and of something of their power. We may go back to the book of Job and we think that Satan, with the permission of God, is able to test Job. And what kind of power does he exercise in this world? Think of the destruction of all the flocks, the herds, of the servants destroyed. And later, that Job has his health taken away and he sits miserably, covered from head to toe with sores, all the work of Satan. We are reminded in Ephesians that Christians do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And then we begin to get an understanding of the might of angels. And then we can begin to appreciate what our text is showing us in comparison. And this is not something simply for the ages past. But today we think of spiritual powers. And how many people seek to enter that realm who imagine it, who think of that power. Think of some of the movies and shows that come out these days. In my day when I was younger, it was Star Wars, and you have the Force. These days you have things much more elaborate, that you have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse, or whatever the title is. And, and, but people are drawn to that. They're looking for power for that spiritual realm because they want to have that power and they pursue it not only theoretically in movies enjoying it but people desire that they seek it and they will follow in the occult they will seek to have that mysticism that will draw them into it and so we see the reality of that power. And we are warned by the Apostle Paul against pursuing that. He writes to the church in Colossae, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. It's nothing new for people to revere angels, spiritual beings, and think there is a great power. But here we are reminded that in comparison, Jesus Christ is far exalted. We see at beginning of verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And as this aspect, this facet of Jesus is going to be explained by the writer of Hebrews, where does he go? He goes to the Old Testament, the Word of God in the Old Testament to show us truth about Jesus. And that's a principle that 
as you read the Old Testament, that you need to be thinking about Jesus. It's not only in the New Testament that we first find out about Jesus, but the Old Testament speaks of Him. And we are to read it that way, that we may understand that God has been preparing the way, giving us pictures, as it were, giving us prophecies that concern Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And the Old Testament, as we see here, is quoted seven times. Seven is a number of fullness, of completeness. And so the author here is, is drawing together seven instances and saying, here is the teaching of God about Jesus. And we're not going to go through all seven, but I want us to, to think about how these set forth the position and power of Jesus. Jesus was born as a baby. He had a true human nature. And yet there was a uniqueness of his relationship to God. And we see that in some of these quotes from the Old Testament. From Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Here is that uniqueness that Jesus had. That though he was truly human, he was truly a man, yet here was God as his father. And this uniqueness enabled him to be able to declare God's word, to be that prophet of God. And yet, there is more. That it was not simply Jesus as a descendant of David, who would have the right to become king and to rule. But there is also the reality of something greater. We think of how Psalm 45 declares, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Do you see what is being said about Jesus? Drawn from the Old Testament, your throne, O God. And therefore, though there is the acknowledgement, the reality, that there is the Son, that is the one whom God has set aside. Yet we see also that he is referred to as God. That here you have that uniqueness that we, we marvel at and cannot fathom the completeness of that mystery that in Jesus Christ, true God and true man, that here is the wonder, the beauty. And the writer of Hebrews, is drawing our attention to that. He has already made reference in the beginning of that, of our, of our chapter, when he talks about Jesus, through whom he created the world. As God created the world, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by his word, all this is of Jesus 
in his divine nature. And yet, it is Jesus who has come into the world. And the Old Testament then prepares us and helps us to understand the fullness of the identity of Jesus that we need to have. And again, we think of that exalted place that Jesus will have. And so from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Here is the place that Jesus occupies, having finished his work, having been glorified, having been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. The position and power of Jesus is therefore far greater than that of angels. Yes, they are powerful. Yes, they're able to work in this world. And yet Jesus is far above them, exalted above them, given that name that he has inherited. And it is in that that the writer is drawing our attention. And why does he do that? Because Jesus is God's final word, the full and final word that God speaks to us. Perhaps you are not a Christian and you are visiting today, or you are a young person and have not yet made that decision about Jesus. You think, well, what about Jesus? Here is the claim that he is great and mighty. We think of Jesus as God's final word, the one who declared that no one could come to God except by him. And Jesus is mighty and powerful, but he doesn't want you simply to cower before him and say, I need to be scared of him. You know, the wonder and the beauty of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, God is saying, come to me. I will give you rest. Believe in me, and I will count you as righteous in Jesus. This is what the focus of God's final word is. And therefore, as we come to read this text, we understand it is setting before us Jesus. And it's not... Something that we say, well, I can take it or leave it. That's nice. I'm glad for you. But here we may think about Jesus and his claims. Wanting your heart. Wanting your devotion. Wanting your love. And we don't say, well, that's nice. It's like a wonderful meal. You know, I can have it. But, you know, if I miss it, no big deal. No, this, is, this would need to be compared to a critical medication you're taking. And you miss it. And you're in danger of death. And this is why the writer is, is drawing our attention to Jesus. He is the focus. Now, he is writing primarily to believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ, but now things are not turning out exactly as they had thought. There was 
that delight as they first embraced Jesus. They were following him faithfully. They, some of them were thrown into prison. Some of them lost possessions. They endured the ridicule in their community. And they were glad for that. But now it has gone on. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And some of them are beginning to have some questions. Even some doubts. And the writer is saying you need to remember who Jesus is. That Jesus is the one who is far greater than all the angels that you can imagine. That Jesus is the one who has been exalted. That Jesus is the one who has made satisfaction for sin and is now exalted at the right hand of the majesty on high. And therefore, you need to trust in Him, to persevere, to continue. Can you relate to some of those to whom Hebrews is written? As life goes on, and it seems hard, and it gets harder, and you think there's more and more opposition that, that is coming against the church. That Christians sometimes are being compared to terrorists. You think of some of the things that have been said, even about the Supreme Court, because they made a decision that some say, oh, we're going back to the Middle Ages, we're going back to the Dark Ages. It's those Christians trying to impose their, their theology, their morality on us. Or you know hardship and struggle. The ridicule of a friend, of a neighbor. That can raise doubts in your mind. Because we become focused on those distractions instead of on Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is written for people like that. As we wrestle, as we struggle. Reminding us, here is Jesus. Here is a picture of him in his power, in his glory, in his majesty. And we are to hear him as the word of God. Now, where does that word come to us from? It comes to us in Scripture. The Word of God inspired by God the Holy Spirit. That we have the words of God. And what does the Scripture set before us? Jesus. In the Old Testament. All the preparation. That we might know. What does Jesus do? What would He look like? You read through the Old Testament and you say, Here's the picture of the Messiah. Of His might, of His power, of His holiness. And then we switch to the New Testament and we see Jesus and we go, hey, that picture looks the same. Because it is God preparing the way and then showing us the fullness of his representation in Jesus. And how we marvel. Jesus speaks in the New Testament with a record of his life. 
We have the record of his apostles who lived with Jesus, who were instructed by him, who were given the Holy Spirit that they might recall those things necessary to write the word of God that you might encounter Jesus in the word. And we think also in the preaching of the word of God, we are to encounter Jesus. From this pulpit, we don't want the wisdom of men. We don't want the eloquence of great speakers. We want the Word of God to set forth Jesus because He is our hope. He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what the Hebrews needed to hear, to be reminded of that the one they had trusted in, that he was still the same. They are being called to look again at Jesus. This facet, there was much more knowledge of angels then than perhaps today. But they knew of the power of angels, the power of demons, And they were reminded Jesus is far greater. And we need to look at that to remind ourselves. When when circumstances on the outside seem to overwhelm us, we say, how am I going to face this? How am I not going to be just crushed under this burden? And we say, there is one who is greater that God had declared of Jesus, you are my son. That God has declared, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That we are not coming to someone who's going to be able to make our life easier, one who's going to be a good example so we can have peace with others. We are coming to the one who is able to save to the uttermost. Here is our hope. Here is our treasure. And we will face those times when we've heard the story before. We know that part of the Bible. We'll read over it and we're familiar with it. And sometimes familiarity can breed contempt. And we think, yeah, I've read that before. And the writer says, stop, think, reflect the fullness of God in Jesus. Who can fathom that? Who cannot be astounded and overwhelmed to think that the God of heaven and earth, the one who's created all things by the word of his power, has come in human form, has taken on our nature, that he might live and die and be raised again, that we might be reconciled to God, that our sins might be canceled, and his righteousness clothes us. The greatness of Jesus compared to angels. 
How many of us would not like to see an angel in their glory and think, wow, that would be quite a sight. But you are called to see someone even greater. To see Jesus. Who does not seek to overwhelm you by his greatness so that you would tremble in fear but that you may have the confidence that here is one able to save even me. That even my sin against an infinitely holy God can be forgiven because of Him. And coming back again to who Jesus is, is our focus, is our hope, Here is that full and final word of God. We don't look for further instruction, for further revelation. Everything we need is in Him. That final word is spoken in Jesus, but what kind of a word is it? It is a word of love. It is a word of compassion. It is a word of grace. And therefore, the Scriptures... And the writer of Hebrews calls us to listen for that word. And he calls us to listen to that word. That we may rest in Jesus. That we may find our peace, our hope, our confidence in him. And in him alone. Amen. Let us pray. Our God in heaven. We pray that you would show to us more and more the glory, the power, the majesty of Jesus, who is our Savior. Lord, that we may not allow the world to drown out, to crowd out our thoughts, our love, our devotion to our Savior, that you would give to us in him the strength, the courage, the persistence, that we may walk by faith and not by sight, that we may rejoice in our salvation knowing that we have a king who has been exalted and that is the head of his church, who is the ruler in the hearts of every one of his people. O Lord, we pray that we may see him and worship him as he is worthy. Amen.